Hannah's movements, or what he calls somatics, actively bring the awareness part of your brain into connection with parts of your body that may be holding chronic muscular tension. And again, if there's chronic muscular tension, this body imperative, it's not a bad thing to be scolded for. It's an expression of self-protection and certainly deserves to be respected and thanked. Welcome to the Safe Enough Podcast. This podcast is an exploration of what it means to feel safe enough in order to live the kind of life or make the kind of changes that transform our lives into those with all the love, connection, belonging, and purpose that we seek and strive for. My name is McPherson Warabeck, a founder of the It Begins to Move studio. I'm a safety and self-worth recovery partner, and I'm so happy that you're here. This is the part of a a three-episode series about different ways to gently connect with your body so that you can cultivate an embodied felt sense of safety as the foundation for work in cultivating a deep-down knowing that you are just as valuable as every other human being. This episode will talk about how movement can be a tool for gently connecting with your body and creating that felt sense of safety. And so the first thing that I'd like to say is that it's not just about moving. I'm a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist, and I actually think that prescribed movement sequences can do the opposite of bringing healing. Not only can they send your nervous system into a state of activation, making trauma responses worse, but they can take your deep awareness, that that kind of awareness that allows for change and transformation away from your body and away from your healing process. I'd like to highlight instead a specific kind of movement that I have found to nearly always bring a sense of connection and a sense of embodied safety. So in previous episodes, I've described what safety is. And to summarize it here, it's a state that is, it's nervous system based, it's felt in your body, and it can't be faked. It's way more than simply an absence of threat. And it's based on a whole bunch of things, including your current moment Um, your current environment, both your your physical environment as well as your social and emotional environment, and also your experiences from the past. Trauma and addictions physician Gabor Mate says that, quote, safety is not the absence of threat. It is the presence of connection, end quote. Neuropsychiatric researcher Stephen Porges's polyvagal theory supports this notion that what brings regulation to a nervous system is... um, to a nervous system that is activated by fear or threat is not simply the absence of a fearful or threatening stimuli. It's not the removal of a threatening thing. Um, But instead, what brings a safety is the intentional activation of a different part of the nervous system, which is turned on by the experience of safe connection. When the experience of safety and connection are present within you, your brain is then able to turn on a particular part, uh, a particular part of it that promotes soothing. This part processes and integrates experiences of, of shame and invalidation, of um, abuse and neglect, of gaslighting, devaluation, um, of pain and suffering. This part really needs to be engaged in order to, to feel safe and valuable. However, the experience of threat turns it off. 
And this is a tough feedback loop because essentially the thing that can help soothe a, a fight flight, freeze, fawn, analyze, or, or collapse response is the exact thing that's turned off by these responses. And this is where a special kind of movement comes in. So Thomas Hanna um, was a movement therapist and a philosopher in the mid to late 20th century. And he observed that there are certain kind of body movements associated with certain kinds of nervous system responses. Hannah listed three different kinds of body movement patterns, but each with the same underlying process and function of self-protection. Before the polyvagal theory, before the decade of the brain and all the neuroscience research that we have today, Hannah observed that muscular tension as a self-protective nervous system response to an unsafe environment is patterned. That if a person feels unsafe in their environment, their body will tense in one of three predictable ways. So that's very interesting. But the most interesting part of Hannah's theory, or at least the most interesting to me, is that he says that if the protective body tension isn't unwound, or the same protective response is elicited over and over, then bodies get stuck in those patterns of muscular tension because your brain can forget that it's doing that tension, that tensing. It just gets used to it. And in neuroscience, this is called habituation. When your body and brain stops having to direct as much attention or any conscious attention to the process of doing something that it's done a thousand times before. You're accustomed to doing something. You're used to doing it. You don't have to think about it. It's automatic. This is also how we describe a habit. Well, tensing muscles constantly with no break is certainly something your brain and your body can get used to and do without having to think about doing. That tension could become habitual and your brain can become habituated to sending tensing signals, meaning that your brain actually might be able to ignore or even forget, so to speak, that it's sending those tensing messages to your body muscles. Consider driving a car. By the time you've done it a thousand times, especially driving a route that you drive every day, you don't have to pay as much attention to what you're doing when you drive or as much attention as you would, say, driving like a mountain pass you've never driven at night in a snowstorm. When you're driving a route that you've driven a thousand times, it's not difficult to do it automatically without having to direct your attention to the gas pedal, to the brake, to the speed that you're going, um, to all of the other cars on the road, the stoplights and the, and the stop signs, the street signs, and all the pedestrians that might be around you. Once you're used to driving that familiar route, you have lots of extra attention actually to direct elsewhere simultaneously while you drive and hold an in-depth conversation with another person or tend to your kids when they're fighting or having an emotional reaction. Or you can even have an emotional breakdown while driving familiar roads. I've certainly sobbed my eyes out while driving um, and tears flooded my eyes to the point of making my vision blurry. But if I'm on familiar roads, um, then I hardly have to slow down. So to say this another way, your brain directs its awareness to things that are new 
and doesn't direct its awareness to things that feel very familiar. It's designed to do that. When there's nothing new or novel going on or nothing that you haven't done a bunch of times before, your brain and your body can carry out an action without needing to pay close attention, without needing to use much of your awareness and and your complex um, brain processing parts to do it. You know the phrase, I could do it in my sleep. Well, that describes that describes habituation. Something that doesn't activate your brain, your body, and your nervous system. This concept of habituation is it's actually used a lot in addiction treatment and medication management. Sometimes your body can habituate to certain levels of substances or medications such that your nervous system or your biochemistry is it's no longer activated by that substance. Certain levels of stimulation don't create enough of an action or response or a change in your biochemistry anymore, and your body and your brain don't even notice. It's like, it's like the doses that you may have become habituated to don't even get your brain and your body's attention anymore, and higher doses may be needed to get your brain and your body's attention and elicit the intended response or action. And this is exactly what Thomas Hanna noted about chronic constant self-protective muscular tension, is that your brain can habituate to it. And that means that if you experience self-protection all the time, your brain doesn't even realize it. It forgets, so to speak, that there's this constant outpouring of, of tensing signals sent to your body, that this tension response becomes stuck there chronically tensing. But your brain and your body continue with regular day-to-day activities, forgetting that it's simultaneously experiencing chronic self-protective tension. And this completely matches with what modern neuroscience has begun telling us about the process of, of how traumatic stress responses get stuck in the body. Stress responses, which are, they're neurological, they're biological, they're chemical, they're endocrinological, they're they're physical and behavioral. They're also adaptive and appropriate. They become automatic and therefore traumatic and problematic when they're not unwound, when they remain. Trauma neuroscience researcher Bessel van der Kolk says in his famous book, The Body Keeps the Score, that, quote, In order to change, people need to become aware of their sensations and the way that their bodies interact with the world around them, end quote. Thomas Hanna and modern neuroscientists alike say that when you can become aware of sensations, then you can begin the process of unwinding, unwinding those automatic and long-standing responses. Eastern wisdom traditions have been saying this for eons. The polyvagal theory notes that there are three different body-based nervous system self-protective responses, and Hannah's three patterns are so correlative. I think that if Thomas Hannah were alive today during the advances in neuroscience and, and trauma theory and polyvagal theory, I think he would be working diligently in partnership with, uh, with Stephen Porges, with Bessel van der Kolk, with Peter Levine, um, Pat Ogden, Bruce Perry, with, with Deb Dana, Dan Siegel, Janina Fisher, Deirdre Fay, and the like. 
bridging gaps and creating more options for cohesive and embodied healing of chronic traumatic stress. So here's how Thomas Hanna's movements help. So as I stated earlier in this episode, taking Mate's assertion that safety is actually a sense of connection, not just the absence of threat, Hannah's movement bring two kinds of connection, connection with self and connection with others. Hannah's movements, or what he calls somatics, actively bring the awareness part of your brain into connection with parts of your body that may be holding chronic muscular tension. And again, if there's chronic muscular tension, this body imperative, it's not a bad thing to be scolded for. It's an expression of self-protection and certainly deserves to be respected and thanked. When awareness can remain present, awareness can remain present during a shaky experience that's unfolding in real time, or a shaky experience that's happened before, often a sense of safety comes because there's this connection that happens where before there was disconnection between what was happening or the experience of unsafety in body and the awareness part of your brain. That felt sense of safety, it may be instantaneous, like a relief for finally having that connection with self, but it also may take time. Building a felt sense of safety may take many repeated instances of being able to rely on the connection between brain and body and being able to remain regulated or be able to consistently regulate when dysregulation occurs, when that felt sense of unsafety occurs. Before a reliable felt sense of safety remains, it may need to happen over and over. Neither is better than the other. The instantaneous feeling and the feeling built over time both make lots of sense. So special kinds of movements that connect awareness to the body like Hannah somatics can help establish that felt sense of safety. Special kinds of movement um, can also help facilitate a deeper kind of healing that comes from having the awareness part of your brain engaged in the feeling process. And once that feeling, um, once that awareness and embodied sense of safety are both there, then there's so much sense making, so much processing and integration, and ultimately choice and agency, transformation and engagement and connection with other people in the world that finally become possible. If you're interested in experiencing Thomas Hanna's special connecting type of somatic movement, you might want to register for the very special upcoming event, Experiencing My Self-Worth. During that event, I'll be demonstrating somatic movements and, and um, such that you can do them with me if you want. Or you might want to download my free video, This Movement Can Help You Safely Connect With Your Body. You can do both of those things on my website, itbeginstomove.com. That's all lowercase and the word to, T-O, not the number two, itbeginstomove.com. The event Experiencing My Self-Worth will take you on a more in-depth experience of multiple Hannah Somatics movements. So if you're interested in learning more, I really hope to see you there. 
And if you find this podcast helpful, please rate it on your listening platform to increase the chance that others can find it too. If there's any question or topic that you'd like to hear me discuss, please leave it in a comment or a review. In the next episode in this series, I'll be talking about how journaling can be used to gently connect with your your wise inner knowing. I'll see you there and take care, kind soul.